Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's very important that we conceive of food less as bad versus good and just as simply food. Because when we look at those foods, we create them as taboos. We want them more. We deny ourselves them, so then we go out and binge on them later. I'm Ali Wolf, an Emmy-winning journalist and mom. I love interviewing women and experts who inspire us to create fulfilling lives and careers while embracing the messy and beautiful reality of being a mom. This is the Mom's Calling Podcast. Welcome back. It is episode 29 already. And you may have noticed when you hit play, this episode is a bit longer, and there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason, my guest is really an expert in multiple fields, from nutrition to psychology to fitness. And so as a result, this conversation took a lot of different turns, and I did not want to cut them out. I wanted to leave it in and just let you hear everything she had to say, because I I truly found it fascinating. So again, I went in thinking this conversation, this interview would be one thing but it turned out being something really different in the best possible way. I thought we were going to talk about mom mental health and body image, which we definitely talk about, but we also get into a lot more. Everything from eating disorders to diet culture, body positivity, default parenting. We also talk about how to lose weight without dieting and why you should not want to have it all. That's right. Why having it all is kind of a lie. Those are my words. I truly do believe that. Having it all is something that we were told and were sort of sold, but it really just leads to disappointment in my opinion. And I do believe you can have it all and have everything that you want in your life, but maybe not all at one time. Sometimes you have to lean into different phases and different seasons that you are in. So yeah. And if you haven't noticed, I'm in a chatty mood. It's still only episode 29. So you'll have to let me know if you like these longer episodes and these longer intros, send me a DM. My Instagram is mom's calling podcast. And while we are talking about social media while you're there. Please share this episode if you like it and tag me. I love hearing from you on Instagram. Okay, so this conversation, so fascinating. We talk about diet culture and my guest shares how it is really fueled by consumerism. And you think of traditionally the ads we see in magazines, but now we're seeing it on social media. So we really talk about social media and how things are curated and how we need to keep this in mind that editing pictures and photoshopping a person's body or a person's face is incredibly easy on social media from Photoshop to filters. It's just not real. So if you're interested in the topic of social media, go back to episode 15 and you will hear me talking all about how I got sucked into going on social media way too much, feeling negative, and you'll hear what I did about it and what I try to do on a regular basis to cut back. So again, about this episode, we talk about body positivity, body acceptance, body neutrality, all of those besides body positivity, body acceptance, and body neutrality were kind of new topics for me. Also, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is this idea that is so deeply ingrained in us that certain foods are good and certain foods are bad. It is so deep inside the way we think, and maybe it's due to marketing or maybe it's due to societal pressures or diet culture, but you'll hear me get called out. There's a moment I get stuck on my words and I edit this podcast and I could have very easily cut this part out because it doesn't necessarily make me sound too good, but 
I left it in because it shows just how I too am very conditioned by labeling foods as good or bad or or that giving into certain cravings means that you're spiraling out of control. So I thought that part of the interview was really important to keep in. And so there's really a lot of chat about mindful eating habits and the thoughts that we have around food. And importantly, you all are moms if you're listening to this podcast and you probably know that the thoughts that you have about food and your relationship with food affects your children. The way that you either force them to eat or encourage them to eat certain things, that has an effect on them too. And actually, Dr. Tovar says children can actually teach us a lot about mindful eating, not the other way around. Okay, I have officially chatted enough. Let's get to this conversation. Let me introduce my fabulous guest. Dr. Supatra Tovar is one of the few clinical psychologists in the country who is also a registered dietitian and a fitness expert. She treats patients with eating disorders, depression, anxiety, and more. Dr. Tovar believes you should never cut carbs and that no food is bad. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Supatra Tovar, welcome to Mom's Calling. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to be here. So you have a couple of really interesting titles. So let's mm -hmm. start by just telling us about how you got there, how you got here. Uh, definitely a long and winding road for mm -hmm. sure. Um, I grew up in Colorado. And so Colorado, you know, when you grow up there, it's all outdoors, health, fitness, being, you know, just a part of nature. So that's just really kind of how I grew up and who I am. When I was in high school, however, a very, very close friend of mine developed an eating disorder. And I witnessed firsthand what an eating disorder looked like, which is, you know, when it's a clinical diagnosis, uh, it's a very disturbing set of symptoms and, and difficulties and problems. And being in high school, I had no idea how to help this person. I had no idea what to say. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I couldn't help in any way. It really didn't plant a seed in me, that helplessness and really wanting to help and look at how uh, you know a person eats and see where it can become disordered. With that mission, Dr. Tavar studied biology in college. Then she moved to Los Angeles and became a Pilates instructor. And she witnessed more disordered eating and body image issues. So that's when I decided to go into graduate school, get my nutritional science degree. After becoming a registered dietitian, she realized she wanted to go back to school yet again for more tools to examine the psychological side of eating disorders. And that's when I went into clinical psychology and everything rounded out. So I help people get back on track with their bodies, recover from eating disorders and learn. It's really more about relearning how to eat and how to listen to yourself again. Wow. So this is truly your calling and you went through such a journey to get there. And I think that's incredible. I'm one of those people who loves reading everybody's biography and sort of their blurbs. And so I just think it's so fascinating to hear how you knew so at such an early age. So let's just dive into weight and body image, because I think that it's definitely a tough thing that you start learning about in as early as high school, but then especially uh, after you become a mom, your body really isn't your own for a long time time, if, especially yeah. if you have multiple kids. So what is your advice for how moms can get back on track to where they feel really good? Right. I think what I see a lot with the moms that I treat is just wanting to kind of 
catapult their bodies back to what they were before children. And I think it's really important to know that our bodies change throughout time and it should be an acceptable process. But if you look at, you know, just kind of diet culture influences, celebrity culture, it's not acceptable for a mom to have any kind of stretch marks or just changes in their bodies. So it's really, really distressing for moms because they want to instantly go back to the body they had and they can't. And they can't for a lot of physiological reasons. You know, you're breastfeeding, your your body has physically changed. Um, and so I, I work with clients on how to accept the fact that you, your body will change. And then I work with them in a lot of different ways, changing their mindset, learning how to, you know, listen to their bodies through mindfulness and mindful eating and how to adopt these changes and small behaviors that can last a lifetime. So it's all sorts of little steps, but I think the first thing that it comes down to is acceptance and then learning how to retune into your body. You know, if you need to, you know, say shed a few pounds or you really want to shed a few pounds, that you're doing it in a more mindful way that you are really listening to yourself as opposed to going on some crazy crash diet. Another thing that I teach almost every client is that no diet actually ever works in the long run. So it's a waste of time and a futile effort. I saw that you wrote that you are anti-diet culture. So I'm wondering if you can unpack that and explain, you know, why do you have this stance and, you know, why is this so damaging? You know, diet culture stems from a couple different biases. One is lookism, which is basically the preferential treatment for anybody who's considered like good looking. Um, and the other bias, which is a bit more insidious, a bit more um, damaging is weightism which is the bias against anyone who's considered overweight or obese. So we're battling these two different biases all the time. Diet culture is inundated in our lives in such a way that we don't even necessarily notice it anymore. We are conditioned to believe that we should, you know, pursue this very, very, very thin ideal, you know, practically emaciated or, you know, almost skeletal. And that anything outside of that realm is considered horrific, terrible, something you, you know, absolutely don't want to have. So I would say 99% of people have some sort of body fat on their bodies. It's completely normal and natural, but we're conditioned to think that it's not. So diet culture in and of itself feeds off of these biases and is fueled by consumerism. It's really about selling products. Ultimately, if you look at any kind of advertising, you look at anything in a magazine, you look at lot, you know, numerous things on social media, it's all designed to get you to buy something by making you feel like you're deficient. And so I'm very much a part of the movement to reject that kind of messaging and relearn how to listen to our bodies and how to appreciate and love our bodies. It's so interesting when you talk about how, you know, diet culture and seeing magazines and that it's it tied with advertising. And so I'm curious your thoughts on the role of social media, because when I was growing up, we looked at magazines, but now we look at social media women that are just like us, and they are often selling us things. Do you think that this is the same as sort of the magazine diet culture? Or what is your take on, on the culture of social media and body image? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you went 
back in time with like magazine advertising and starting from like 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you saw intended to see a bit more of a natural body type because we didn't have things like Photoshop. If you look at the, the body types of the 50s, they were much more curvy, much more voluptuous. And then it just got skinnier and skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. And it really started to get that way with the invention of Photoshop and editing images. So if you look at social media today, I don't know if you can trust 99% of what we're seeing because it's not real. It's all doctored images. So what, you know, especially young children are absorbing is, you know, oh, I have to look like this person, but it's an actual impossible uh, goal to get to because even the models don't look like that. Yeah, I think it's really alarming. And I think that there needs to be some sort of education or at least awareness that, hey, we know that in advertising, there's this professional team that's, you know, making everything photoshopped and perfect. But on social media, people are still doing it, but it's just meant to look real, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And once you're aware that this is just a portion of society, this is not everyone then you can start to expand out and away from that kind of culture and you can gravitate toward things and influencers and people and ideas and movements that actually are good for you that make you feel good so it's not that all social media is bad there's you know but it's how you curate your feed that really matters because if you start to gravitate toward you know diet culture images your algorithm goes only to those images. And they've shown that especially young girls uh, suffer uh, to a great extent with their self-esteem and their body image just by, you know, how the algorithm brings them and feeds them images. Yeah, I think it's, it's really alarming. And I think that people are learning. I don't know about you, but winter is taking its toll on my skin and no one wants to feel dry and dehydrated. But I have a solution for you. The Way Melrose Place Body Cream will quench your thirsty skin and leave it feeling silky smooth. That is what we want. High quality nourishing ingredients will provide hydration that'll prevent dry and icky skin this winter and really all year long. Experience the new Way Melrose Place Body Cream and Body Cleanser. Your body, your way. Go to theway.com, that's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 15% off your entire purchase. That is 15% off your whole order at theway.com, and use the code BELIEVE. I'm wondering, though, what do you think of the body positivity movement? I think that there's also, yeah, there's a movement to kind of swing the other way. And I think it's really cool. But still, maybe I'm a skeptic a little bit always. But I think also it's important to remember that even when somebody wants to show that they have fat or cellulite or anything, because most of us do, it is a curated image still. Well, I like the body positivity movement because of the rejection of, you know, kind of the negative stereotyping of what the body is. I like also that it's about focusing your mind on your inherent qualities and parts of yourself and and your body and creating it from the inside out, meaning you have this glow that comes from the inside out. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that because they're like, well, what if I don't feel that way about my body? 
I do want to love my body, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm glowing. I don't feel like that I can completely embrace that. There's also body acceptance and body neutrality. And I think all of that is really important. I think it is important to, you know, embrace, you know, what your inner quality qualities are and allow them to radiate out. But I also think it's really important to accept the parts of your body that you may not be able to change. Because the more you learn how to accept that, the less you're in a stress mode and the more you're able to kind of gravitate toward health. And then if you look at body neutrality, it's just kind of just feeling neutral about your body. And that really resonates for a lot of people. It's like, I don't need to focus on my body. It's just a body. It's here. I'm fine with it. I don't want to change it. I don't dislike it. It's just important to know that there's uh, several different movements that you can you know, look at in terms of hashtags on social media. And once you start to do that, your feed starts to change and you start to see all of the people out there who are promoting, you know, just this shift in our culture and in our mentality. You know, I really love that because I think that I've done a lot of thinking about this since becoming a mom. And I think that my mind shifted because I went from just, you know, my body was my body and I kind of learned to love it and everything. And then I saw that it actually served this purpose. And I think I became more body neutral of it's not about how it looks, but what it does. My body does amazing things. And so I think that is such an incredible place to flow your Instagram feed too. And I, I think also I like your point that social media is not all bad because you know, you can find those good corners of it. With that, I want to ask you, so how do you sort of reconcile these two ideas of being anti-diet culture and putting a certain body on a pedestal, but also feel like, you know, you do want to lose weight and you, you know that you want to be in a better shape, physical shape, and just to feel better in your skin. How do you coach people and help people through that in feeling good about their bodies, but also wanting to maybe make some changes? Well, I think that, you know, it doesn't seem like anti-diet culture and pursuing a certain shape or fitness goal go together, but they absolutely can. It just depends on where you're putting your mindset. If your mindset is, I must, I need to fit in, I, I'm not good the way that I am, that is veering you towards diet culture. But if you are looking at yourself and saying, I would love to increase my fitness, I would, I really want to learn how to increase my nutrition. What what are some ways that I can improve my diet? It's not that the two, uh, you know, are against each other, but it really has to do with your mindset. And that's why I like to coach people into the mindset of what is going to be the best for my health? Is it crazy compulsive exercise? And are you basing it on how you feel as opposed to are you compelled to do this because you feel like you need to fit into a size four? If you're looking at your health and you're looking at your body from a health mindset, you're going to naturally gravitate more towards, you know, better nutrition and, you know, safe and healthy exercise forms. And I think that that is how you can distinguish and take yourself out of diet culture. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all of the threats you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service 
offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system, or to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all of the threats you face today on the internet, and plans start at under $4 a month. PN you can get. Exclusive NordVPN deal. Go to nordvpn.com slash believe. Most servers and next-gen encryption to make sure everything you do online stays secure. VPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. One additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. $4 a month. Are there any good first steps that people can take at home if they just sort of want to start shifting their mindset so they can get better habits? Do you have any good, simple steps for people? Yes, I love, um, there's a great book out there. It's called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. And basically, if you like take the book and you just funnel it down into a few nutshells, it's that creating small, tiny behaviors are the key to long lasting behavior change. If you take example, uh, I want to add exercise into my day somehow. You can say, oh, I'm going to do it for four hours every day. And that will never, ever last because no one who has a job and is a mom and is doing everything has, you know, four hours out of their day to exercise. But most people have 20 minutes. Most people have even 15 minutes. You know, you could even like bump it up to 30 minutes. But creating that small time window is going to be something that's more sustainable for you to do on a daily basis or three to four times a week. So that's the first step. Make your behavior very, very small and tiny. The second step is that you attach that behavior to what's called an anchoring behavior. So an anchoring behavior is a behavior that has become a habit for you. So say, uh, you know, I wake up every day at seven. That's that's an actual behavior. So if you wanted to tie your exercise to that behavior, or say after you use the restroom or after you drink a glass of water, as long as it's something you're regularly doing, That's how you add that behavior. You attach it to the anchor behavior. Then the final step is that you use the power of positive reinforcement. So after you perform that behavior, you do anything that makes you celebrate, makes you feel good. It could be like a superwoman pose. Mm -hmm. You could have, you know, like on a Apple watch, you can um, have like an exercise bowl. And once you've reached it, say it's like 20 minutes, your watch like, you know, celebrates for you. And it's like, yay, you did it. Anything that is, you know, reinforcing is going to actually help that behavior become a habit. So it's making it small, attaching it to an anchor and celebrating. Okay. I love that because I was sort of, I was thinking about it in the opposite way. And something I was going to ask you was about when you're in maybe a negative cycle, you're getting really bad sleep. Maybe you're a new parent, your kid's keeping you up. You started eating poorly. Your exercise went by the wayside. And so thinking about the negative habits you want to change, then you just kind of focus on the negative. But I like that idea of focusing on sort of the good habits and then adding more good habits onto that. So that's great. Right. And when you make that behavior tiny and small, you can start to add on to it. But if you do have a bad day, if you, if you do sleep poorly, you're, you know, kid out of tantrum or whatever it is, you can always go back to the smallest baseline behavior. 
And as long as you're doing that, you're always going to be feeling good about what you're doing. Anything else you add on is a bonus. Right. And I think that a part of that is maybe you slipped up and you like ate terribly and then you're Mm -hmm. like, well, And I just had, you know, chocolate cake and French fries. So might as well just say, forget about today. I'm going to just keep Mm -hmm. going and go with, you know, make all these other choices. So in your way of sticking to those anchor points, then you kind of know what track you're on. So what do you do then if somebody comes to you and was like, I went off the rails, how do I get Mm -hmm. back on my routine? Well, it's interesting that you talk about chocolate cake and French fries because I am a sort of, there's a lot of dietitians that are on the same mindset as me, but I am of the mindset that there is no food off limits. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at chocolate cake or French fries as going off the rails. I just Mm -hmm. think that's just, you know, a choice among many choices that we have to make. So I, I think it's very important that we conceive of foods less as bad versus good and just as, you know, simply food. Because when we look at those foods, we create them as taboos. We want them more. We crave them more. We deny ourselves them. So then we go out and binge on them later. So if you just don't even have any taboo food and you say, okay, I can allow myself this food, you actually, over time, especially if if you've restricted forever, you may have a period of time where you're like allowing yourself a bit too much, like your body's telling you it's too much. But over time, if you don't have any taboo foods, you don't binge. You tend to just be able to taste it, go, oh yeah, that's nice, but you're not eating like an entire cake. If you can look at all foods as available, you're going to then when you start to really listen to your body, gravitate towards foods that really make you feel good and Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you kind of corrected me there because even after I said it, I realized that the way I said it, it just labeled them as bad foods that are that are typically considered, oh, I'm weak because I just caved into eating this. And I think it's just this very American concept that I definitely was raised with and have tried Mm -hmm. to undo, but it's just it's so deep in you that it's Mm -hmm. hard to unravel that, right? It is. And I think in everybody's mindset, everybody mm-hmm. thinks of, of French fries, hamburgers, potato chips, all that stuff is bad and salads, kale, and, you know, you know, chicken breast and things like that is good. And that I think is a big part of the problem. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't have, you know, these kind of off the rails, you know, binging sessions. Yes, that is such a good clarification. Okay, I want to shift a little bit because you said something before we started that I loved and you were talking about default parenting. So could you explain Mm -hmm. first what is default parenting? Well, I think this is actually really, really important for your audience. You know, I've been working with a couple different journalists as a featured expert and, you know, just recently wrote about default parenting, which is essentially one parent will take on the lion's share of, you know, the duties as a parent. They're the ones who are waking the kids up and feeding them and taking them to the school and making sure that they're doing their homework. And usually this person is the mother. And we see when this happens, and this is probably the most common thing that we see in relationships, uh, resentment and burnout and all of these negative consequences come from being a default parent. 
So when I uh, treat, especially mothers, but also couples, part of my mission with my mothers and my couples is how can we distribute the labor a little bit more equally? How can moms learn how to communicate or delegate or ask for help as opposed to just um, you know, taking on this role and becoming a martyr and then depleting themselves and burning out and feeling miserable. So that's what a default parent is and the consequences of default parenting. Yeah, I think that it's it's truly challenging because I don't know all parents, but I think that a lot of them don't necessarily think about the specifics of the day-to-day. I mean, of course, you know who's working, who's not working. Is it 50-50, maybe 75-25? You know, what is the distribution of labor outside of who's bringing the money in, but who's doing what? Exactly. Who's changing all the diapers? Is it all or nothing? So I just, I really like that way of thinking of it because I think that a lot of the women I know tend to think that they can be super women. And then you reach a point where you're just overwhelmed. So how do you Mm -hmm. deal with that overwhelm? I mean, what is step one for trying to reverse a cycle that's really harmful? Right. I think just step one, kind of like with everything is some awareness. This is something that just like diet culture, we have been conditioned into Women, for the most part, since the dawn of times, have taken on this role as far as being the main caregiver, while, you know, typically the male spouse will go out and, you know, hunt and gather or, you know, go and make all the money and be able to support the family. So this is something that's passed down generation to generation to generation. However, we're now in a time where women are working as well. So not only are they taking on all of the parenting and have been, and that's what's been expected of them and they're conditioned into, they're now also working full time and having to do everything. So just being aware that this is kind of the societal norm, but that we don't have to adhere to that. And if we are super women and we are the people that do it all, we can think of ourselves less as slaves and a little bit more as CEOs of the house. If I'm a, you know, chief operating or chief executive officer of my house, I'm going to start to delegate. I'm going to start to like bring my kids on board and teach them how to do chores. I'm going to have a meeting with my husband and I'm going to like, you know, pull out a spreadsheet and say, these are the things that I do. And these are the things that you do. And there's a disparity. So let's, you know, have an equal balance and let's lighten the load on this end and make it a little heavier on this end. So it's just about communication when it comes to your family after you've had this light bulb awareness moment. Yeah, I think that's an incredible way of thinking of it because I think naturally a lot of women are taking on that mental and emotional load of just the kid needs this, I need to do that, this needs to be Mm -hmm. done, this chore, that chore, this thing needs to be, we need to sign up for this. And it goes on and on and those checklists Mm -hmm. never end in your mind. You're not gonna make that go away if you're naturally like that. But I think Mm -hmm. delegating those tasks can be such a burden off your shoulders. And I think about this concept a lot of having it all, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that you can never have it all and understanding that something is going to give and you just have to pick where you're okay sacrificing family, career, you know, something has to give somewhere always, right? Right. And often if it's, you know, on the negative end, it's your mental health that that gives and you don't want that to happen. You know, I I love the saying, you can't pour from an empty cup and you really can't, you cannot be a good mom 
you cannot be a good partner if you're completely burned out and depleted. So it's, it's the opposite of what you want to be having it all like is, is impossible. And it makes you a worse mother. So how can you become a better mother? And I think that that's through like self care, understanding, you know, what your work role is, if you are working, and then what is the home role? And how do you not do everything in the home? How is it more equal? And how is everybody on board helping to make this family functional and happy? Yes. Yes. I think the earlier, the better too. In, in when things are still flexible and moving around that you can, Mm -hmm. you know, set the, the guidelines and sort of the structure Mm -hmm. in place. Okay. I just want to get to something that I saw on your Instagram that you posted a quote. Mm -hmm. It said, be mindful of what you say and do around your children. Disordered eating starts early. And I think this Mm -hmm. really ties into what I said before about the chocolate cake. So um, Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your thoughts on that quote. Well, every time I work with a client that's coming in for any kind of disordered eating or, you know, full-blown eating disorder, I look back into their childhood. That is like the first thing that I will do because I want to see, you know, their development, not just from an attachment perspective, meaning like what kind of relationship did they have with their caregiver, but also where did they get all of this messaging that led them down this path? And if you look at children just naturally without our influence, without anybody saying anything, children are probably the best mindful eaters out there. They will eat when they're hungry, They will stop when they're full. They'll, you know, throw it across the room if they don't want it anymore. And they are, you know, listening and in tune with their body. And it's not until mom's like, finish that plate. What about all those starving children in China? Or she's saying, I'm on a diet. I must watch my, you know, we cannot have any carbs in here. That is when kids start to fall out of their natural eating style and adopt and model behaviors that they're seeing in the home. And so that's why I think it's absolutely of utmost importance that mothers are extremely mindful of the things that they say and they do. Because if you look at the cumulative effects of that over time, and you see the disordered eating or the eating disorders that come from that messaging, you'll think twice. You will never want anybody to suffer just the, you know, kind of mental distress that comes from having just even emotional eating patterns or mindless eating patterns, let alone the behaviors that come from anorexia or bulimia nervosa or binge eating disorder or any of the other disorders. So moms out there, please, please, I am begging you, watch what you say and you do. Allow your child to determine their own eating styles. Do not force any child to eat everything off of their plate. And watch what you say and you do about yourself and what kind of messaging you're giving your child about how you feel about your body, because they're going to absorb that and you don't want that. Yeah, they pick up on so much. And I think it's another reason to just do the work on yourself as an individual, and then that will shine through in your parenting as well. Exactly. Amen. (laughs) Well, I got it. It was inspired by everything that you said. So Uh, I want to hear sort of some of your favorite routines. Like, do you have a favorite morning routine or self-care routine? I know you said you were meditating before we talked. So I'd love to hear what you do. I have to say that I think I'm kind of militant about self-care. I love it. 
I just know like sitting for hour after hour after hour is such torture on my body, especially someone like me. I'm like really used to, you know, being active. So I wake up really early. I will exercise right away. I will make a, you know, really nice, big, healthy breakfast for everybody in the house. Um, and then I usually meditate for like at least 20 minutes if I can, hopefully longer. Sometimes if I can do a 45 minute session, I'm like super happy. And then <laughs> I have a massage chair. <laughs> so I sit in my massage chair for about a half an hour as I'm prepping to get ready. So all of that takes, oh, and I also go on a walk with my dogs. So all of that takes about like three to four hours. And if I don't do all of that before I start, I just feel like, like I'm incomplete. feel like I'm not quite there. If I do all of that, I'm able to be absolutely like 100% present and mindful with my clients. And I don't feel like I've missed anything uh, for myself in the day. Well, that is incredible. That is an aspirational self-care routine. <laughs> I hope to have something like that one day. And then do you have an unwind routine in the evening or is it a little bit more abbreviated? It's a bit more abbreviated, but basically once I close the computer and I've made my, you know, next day's social media posts, usually my social media posts come from something that's inspired by my day, something that I've heard or, you know, just like that last post, you know, that was what I was dealing with that day was just mm -hmm. seeing, uh, you know, how a, a mother's messaging can really mess up a kid. Um, once I'm done with that, I'm just done. I close mm -hmm. the computer. I don't look at email. I don't answer stuff. I'm just present and at home and I'm, you know, with my family and playing with my dogs and that's it. And I think that that's vital, mm -hmm. especially if you're working at home, you have to find a way to like end the workday or it can just go on forever. And I don't want that. That's so great that you have those boundaries. It's been hard when everything is at home. One fun question I ask like best and worst advice. A lot of people do mom advice, but I would love it if you had diet and health advice, um, mm. your favorite and like your least favorite um, bit of advice. Oh gosh, least favorite. I don't even know where to begin on that. <laughs> um, the first thing that comes to mind and that is probably the one thing that everyone hears and everyone does is that you have to cut carbs. Mm. And I want to dispel that forever, especially anybody who's going down that keto diet route. Yeah. We absolutely 100% need carbohydrates to survive for our bodies to have energy and for our brains to function. So if you want to increase, you know, your intelligence and, uh, you know, help your body, do not ever cut carbs ever mm -hmm. embrace them. If you're going mm -hmm. to, you know, if you're going to eat them, go with whole grains, go with, you know, everything that has fiber. Um, but don't, please don't cut them out of your diet. I love that one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, so best advice. The best advice I can give anybody about diet and their body is to trust themselves and listen to their body. The key to maintaining a good, healthy weight is by listening to your body when it's hungry. You have hunger cues. Your tummy grumbles. You start to get hangry. You get lightheaded. You're like, oh, I'm going to die. That's when you know you need to eat. 
allow yourself food. Don't put any labels on it. Eat what you want to eat. Then you listen. You listen to your body. If you're eating mindfully, you're paying attention to your food and you're paying attention to your body. And your body is going to tell you, hmm, I'm starting to get full. As soon as you feel that, you just check in. And once you feel like you've had just the right amount of food, stop eating. If you learn to discern those physiological cues from emotional cues, then you will never, ever, ever need to go on any diet ever again. And you have freedom. That's great. You make it sound so simple, but it is, it's hard for it is. most people. So, yeah. It but, but it takes practice. It's not impossible. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And important to remember that. And I like the freedom of being able to choose what you want and what your body needs. Do you have any favorite things? And it could be a favorite book or a favorite like product that you love. Um, anything that comes to mind mm-hmm. so that I know you said massage chair, but <laughs> that might not oh, be accessible yeah, to ever. I highly recommend if you want to develop, a, you know, kind of an exercise regimen. I got myself a mini trampoline Mm. and that thing is like the best ever. You know, I was like doing Pilates forever and you know, it's amazing for your body. Pilates is incredible, but it also doesn't give you like cardio and bouncy fun and things like that. So if you really want to, you know, start up a, you know, low impact cardio routine, get a mini trampoline. I got mine for like $45 on Amazon probably one of the best things I ever bought. There's, um, there's, I'm a huge fan of her. Her name's Naomi Joy Gallagher, and she's on YouTube. And she has the most incredible, uh, they're called um, rebounders. She has the most incredible rebounder workouts. And I love her. So little shout out to her. Trampoline, those workouts, lifesavers. I love that. I actually was thinking of mini trampoline for my daughter. I saw them at Sam's Club recently. So maybe we can share it. So that's a good yes, tip. I love that. I love it. It's so fun. And you just bounce around. It's great for your lymphatic system. It's an incredible form of cardio exercise. And it is very safe and good for your joints. Love okay. It. I love that. Yeah. I love that product and that tip. Okay, Dr. Tovar, this has been such a great conversation. I think it went in directions I didn't even expect in the best possible way. So thank you. Yes, let everybody know where they can get into contact with you or follow you. Do you do virtual appointments with anybody going forward, even post-COVID? Give us all the details. Okay, so I have a website. It's www.drsupatratovar.com. It's all one word. On that website, you can go into the top uh, thing and find all of my social media. You can also go into the media section of my website and look for you know all the podcast appearances and featured expert stuff and just kind of get my blog information and all of that. And then as far as Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, I want to hear from you. Send me an email to momscallingpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review this podcast. See you next week for another episode of Mom's Calling on the Believe Network. For people who want to come and have, you know, uh, sessions with either me or my associate. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your great knowledge and great advice. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.